0: Hi everyone, welcome to Vern Goes Against the Grain. I'm your host, Eric Vernston. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is an amazing episode. I'm so excited you can be here. This is a guest that I tried very hard to get and he is so busy and when you check out his website and all the prolific amounts of writing he does, you are going to be like, wow, I can't believe this guy had any time for you, which is why I thank Dr. Joshua Gans so much for his time. We had a wonderful 30 minute conversation. I wanna give you a little bit of Dr. Gans's bio. Joshua Gans is a professor of of strategic management and holder of the Jeffrey S. Skoll Chair of Technical Innovation and Entrepreneurship at the Rotman School of Management, University of Toronto with a cross appointment in the Department of Economics. Joshua is also chief economist at the University of Toronto's Creative Destruction Lab. Prior to 2011, he was the Foundation Professor of Management in Paranthese Information Economics at the Melbourne Business School, University of Melbourne. And prior to that, he was at the School of Economics, University of New South Wales. Dr. Joshua Gans is amazing. He's written over 10 books. And the way I found him is most recently he's writing a newsletter called Plugging the Gap, economics, technology, entrepreneurship, and a recent COVID-19 obsession. I love his newsletter. It is addicting. He brings such an interesting perspective as in, uh, from the economics background that you just don't get anywhere else. And it's just a really, he talks about all different aspects of COVID. I love the newsletter. He's written two books too. I told you he's prolific. He's written 10 overall. He also wrote a book about economics and parenting, which we do cover in the podcast. So in the last, say, last five minutes of this 25-minute podcast, if you want to hear about uh, economics and parenting, that's the part for you. We covered everything in literally 20 minutes. We talked about how he evaluates uh, situations, how he looked at the beginning, how he even got started in this, like what was fascinating to him, which I really liked especially how he described like why he even got into looking at this specific, like why look at COVID and economics. We talked about lessons to be learned. We talked about what happened, even uh, he gave me a great history lesson about the Spanish flu and what we can take away from there. We talked about what it means to be this for COVID to be an endemic. There were also tons of positive moments of hope Dr. Gans outlined with information. It wasn't just swinging from the fence. He's a fantastic individual. I highly recommend, subscribe to his newsletter, check out his website, www.joshua, J-O-S-H-U-A, Gans, dot com. Take a look at all of his books. I'm especially gonna buy the book on parenting. I have a child coming, so I definitely need that one. This interview was so good. Whether you're interested in COVID or just wanna find out how economics works and how an economist thinks, that is a wonderful skill to add to your skill stack. And it's one of the reasons I'm so happy he came on because I want to learn from him. I want to learn from the best. And Dr. Joshua Gans is the best. I want to plug a couple of things quickly before we get to interview. One, I wrote a book. Did you know that? You probably did because I talked about it a million times. 10 Scientifically Proven Ways Steve Jobs Went Against the Grain, available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. Also, Dr. Gans's books, I believe, are also available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. You can check those out on his website. Again, www.joshuagans.com. Finally, I am accepting tips. I know it's fun to do everything for free, but if you enjoy the podcast and maybe there's something you want to see have done, I might have an offering where if you want me to give you a shout out to something, maybe it was a graduation, you know, like an old baseball game thing, who knows? But if you go to anchor.com slash Vern goes ATG, I believe that's the website. I hope it is. You can find a tips page. I accept tips, but we'll do some other things like that. If you do, thank you so much. If not, hey, I'm gonna keep producing awesome content because I love helping people. And that's the reason I asked uh, Dr. Gans to come on because he is helping so many people and he is absolutely amazing. With that being said, I wanna get to Dr. Gans in his interview because we had a wonderful time. He was fantastic. Please check out his work and please enjoy this 25 minute interview Dr. Joshua Gans on COVID and economics. Dr. Joshua Gans, welcome to Vern Goes Against Grain podcast. So good to meet you. Yeah, good to meet you too. First question for you You are an accomplished economist, you're a professor, you've written numerous books. I believe I counted at least 10. Now you're switching gears, you're focusing specifically on the economic impacts of COVID. You've got this newsletter, you've written at least two books on the subject. I think one book is free, so you're not doing this for the money. Why are you doing this?
1: Well, basically, um, uh, March last year, I was spending all my time refreshing statistics on infections. And after a week of doing that, I I kind of lost my mind and decided, <laughs> uh, uh, what can I actually do that's close to, you know, what I sat down and thought, what am I good at? That I can combine with refreshing screens on COVID <laughs> statistics, and uh, I decided. Well, I'm good at writing books, so I would write a book, trying to explain all of the economic issues that were flying at us from the pandemic. Um, I didn't have any particular background in uh, those sort, that sort of area of economics, uh, but the the issues were quite general, uh, and so. I used it as an opportunity to make sense of it myself and to hopefully explain it to others. Um, And I never stopped.
0: What was it about when you started really digging in and started writing, what was it about the topic that you found so interesting that you have been so prolific? I mean, that's the reason I found you actually is from, I I stumbled onto your newsletter and I read them all the time, they're fantastic.
1: Well, I I was really interested uh, and partly because we were living this as well, in how difficult it is to make these decisions in a a crisis. You had like this ticking time bomb that was going. Uh, It looked, you know, if you applied some mathematics to it early, it looked like it was gonna be really, really bad Um, and it it, it turned out to be. Um, Yet you saw all of these people trying to make decisions on this, you know, of how to to react, uh, you know, whether to shut things down and and stuff like that. Uh, And you had experiences uh, and information trickling in from around the world. First, there was China, and then there was that cruise ship, and then there was Italy and and, and so on. And I really thought it was, you know, how do you make those decisions? (laughs) Uh, You know, uh, there was a, a tendency for, at the time, most people were either, the majority of people were oh, this is nothing, Uh, you know, this is, I can't see it, so it's not there. Um, uh, Then there were people who were freaking out uh, as well, uh, and they turned out to be the correct ones. Um, And there are people such as myself who listened to the people freaking out, uh, waited a bit, and then started to freak out myself um, (laughs) at that time. So, and I kind of knew it was like there was just so much we didn't know. And uh, no decision was a good one. And I thought that that was interesting. And, you know, that's happened throughout this. Uh, Basically, people having to work out what to do, subtle issues of timing, meaning big effects. Uh, It's really, really a, a, a horrible problem. And I think that's what fascinated me the most.
0: When you when you go through, so you're very you're, you seem like a very introspective person. You've talked about in your blog how you've made some really good decisions, and then you've also looked back on some of the ones that you made that you were you were incorrect on. Right. When you look at just the the globe as a whole, do you think it's such a complex problem where we really shouldn't blame anyone for some of those early decisions? or are there certain places or certain actors that you're like, you know what, their decision making based on even what the data was saying was just you know was flawed? Like, how do you, I guess, how do you, do you evaluate people like that? How do you think about that?
1: Well, I think, I mean, I wax and wane on this issue, um, you know, obviously for, for, you know, there are different levels of issues that we've faced. Uh, and, uh, you know, while sometimes you can understand when people take the wrong path and, and things like that, I mean, I had, you know, last summer when the uh, case numbers started to fall because of seasonal factors, Uh, people were sort of like, oh, it's all over. And then I was like listening to people saying, it doesn't look like it's over. And it was very interesting to see, you know, smart, intelligent people who were taking it seriously, also deciding, oh, now we're done. Um, And so, it's you know, emotions and hope and other things play in all of that. But, but, you know, in my own uh, thing, yeah, no, there were, uh, you know, there were times I haven't shied away from, making calls you know i think this is going to happen um partly because uh i think it's you know it you know it, you know i think some of those things were things that weren't being weighted enough so right at the, the very first thing i wrote about the pandemic was i could not understand when you looked at the mathematics in all sorts of places and you and the, and you looked at hospital capacity And you're going to ram into that in a month's time. And I couldn't understand why, you know, the military wasn't mobilized building out (laughs) hospital beds and things like that. And so, you know, at that time, that's what I said. Basically, you know, this is war and we have to treat it like war. And I I called that. Um, So that, that was a reasonable one. Although, interestingly enough, it turned out that people got the message and we never really hit those limits in the way people were suggesting. Some places, yes, but but certainly not here in in, in Ontario. Um, and there were other issues where, you know, when I was, you know, doing all this initially writing an entire book in March and April last year, you know, I had to guess what the issues were going to be. And the big one I saw coming was if we ever get a vaccine, we weren't going to have enough of it. <laughs> you know, because that's just how these things are. Sure. Um, And I thought that that would be a more terrible and painful issue uh, in the sense of people misbehaving because of a shortage of something that is potentially life-saving. And, uh, you know, because and I I must admit I was swayed by Hollywood on that because every one of these movies comes in about pandemics, a vaccine comes in, and then there's a fight over over getting stuff. Uh, And and people, I'm too much. Uh, you know, in my defense, people were fighting over toilet paper. So, you know, it's not like the. <laughs> they, might, so they might be
0: back here again. We're, we're having some supply yeah. chain issues. So, <laughs> who
1: knows what's going to happen. Yeah, right. Uh, the strategic toilet paper stockpile. But, you know, the. the but, but really, when you, when you look at it, is yes, there's, you know, uh, some, you know, I would like the vaccine quicker and stuff like that. But it's been pretty calm and civilized as these things go. Uh, you know, the, the misbehavior has been low. And not only that, is I thought we'd have to pick some very, very rigid, you know, age-based rule or some sort of lottery so that everybody formed the queue and were very orderly. Sure. And we haven't done that. No one's done that. Yeah. No one's done that at all. And in fact, I mean, when there's been shortages, people have sort of prioritized different things. Like, you know, here in, in Toronto, if you live in one postcode you can get the vaccine 18 or plus and the adjacent one, not a, you know, you have to do 50 plus um, yeah. because one's a hotspot and the other isn't.
0: Yeah.
1: And that hasn't caused issues. Um, so I, I thought, I thought that that was, you know, you know, in terms of things that I thought were going to be amazing, like the hunger gonna,
0: games going for the, uh, vaccine. Yeah,
1: no, I was jumping up and down and saying, you need to have a plan for all this. And I was always looking for the plan for it, but I think it turned out people were okay. Now, this was all more lethal and and i think this and i think when it comes to treatments you know like we see the scramble over oxygen and stuff like that it gets very
0: urgent but vaccines not so much vaccines people are like i can deal (laughs) when you are going through and i'm assuming you work with a lot of you you probably connected with with people people across the globe during this people found your writing other other experts in the field. For someone like me, or I always use example of my mom. My mom's very; she's a wonderful woman, but she's like, we'll give you example. A couple of weeks ago, she was like, "Hey, should I start buying the Bitcoin?" You know, it's like that. <laughs> right. How, if you're someone like that, how how would you recommend they go about trying to figure out who to who to follow in in sifting through information?
1: Yeah, no, that's really quite difficult. Uh, I think one of the things that we will look. One of the things that we weren't prepared for is how to message properly. I mean, everybody knew that was a big issue. Um, You you heard Obama at the beginning talking about how he thought the pandemics were, you know, that was a a serious issue. And he learned from 2009 that the most important thing was to let the scientists speak Mm -hmm. and have a consistent message. Now, the problem with that is the scientists did a lot of second guessing. And I've already said, you know, I applied economics and I, you know, for a shortage issue, I got that wrong. Um, And the reason is, is that messaging is not just, just because you happen to be a a noted immunologist or something like that, or a virologist or an epidemiologist, doesn't mean you know how to message things to the public. Uh, and, you know, I guess my bias is that they could have done more nuanced messaging. And I think the, the initial mask issue highlighted that sure. they, were very, they saw the people running for the toilet paper and they said, I don't want everybody grabbing all the masks because we need it for the medical things. Yeah. So they told people masks weren't necessary. Now, the problem with that was they were. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or they were going to change the money. They could have been necessary. Sure. And so you know there was a different more nuanced message that could have been done there uh, maybe backed up with a bit of uh, uh, enforcement as well said so we, we, you can't get the n95s there for the doctors, but we do encourage you to get x1Z <laughs> and so so I think I think that could have been done and now we've sort of flipped the other way, we're very very extreme on masks yep and you know when it comes down to it I think uh, you know that's fine that's a good precautionary thing to do, Um, but it's not clear that they are as valuable as people make out to be. Um, You know, people have got infected in workplaces where they've been wearing masks. Uh, You wear masks all day, it's a whole different thing. And some of the things they worried about initially, such as when you wear a mask, you got to fit it properly,
0: etc. You know probably matter. <laughs> you, you, you see the people they'll walk up there. Like, oh, I have a mask on, but I can't. Yeah, that's below yeah. the I know yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah. I mean,
1: but effective messaging there. You saw this great, there was this thing on the thing that said, Well, what if you did that with your with pants and were too low? <laughs> that's what you look like, and yeah, if you can get it. so there are ways to do that, but you know, I never saw I don't think there is a person or set of people on a te- on those teams who are. Understand messaging and debate it, and really worked it out. I think there was things, uh, you know. Here's what we can tell them. Here's what we can't tell them. No assumptions made, and I think that is, that proves out to be very diff- difficult. So, in terms of just anybody trying to uh, understand this, is is uh, it, you know, it is a fraught thing. Um, you know, I think in it, it, what this really means is we. So it's going to be a mess whenever we let the pandemic become a pandemic, uh, when it goes and spreads. Uh, uh, All of them real mistakes were letting it happen to this level. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And that's the thing we have to avoid because I don't think there's an easy solution after that point. It's painful regardless.
0: So now going off that, we're we're past that. We're well past that point. Oh, yeah. In, oh, yeah. For what over almost a year and probably two, almost a year and a quarter. Right. So you've said, and, I, and I'm going to paraphrase this, so let me know if I'm wrong, but this will eventually become an endemic right. where essentially like a, almost like a seasonal, maybe not seasonal, but it, it's something we're going to have to deal with. So yes. what, for those out there that like, what is an endemic and then what kind of economic consequences you see going forward, maybe in the short term right. of
1: that? So in 1918 to 1920, we had this other pandemic, which, you know, ended up being uh, far, far worse, uh, even in a less connected world. Uh, and the result of that that pandemic um, was, uh, you know, seasonal flus that come and go, <laughs> you know, and different strains of it. And we get it all the way up through now. Um, and that's what happens when a respiratory virus uh, extends through the population and can circulate and can circulate between hemispheres, it's more of a migration that occurs because it yeah. never gets stamped out anywhere. Yeah. Um, so uh, what that means is it'll crop up again. it It won't be as bad because most of us will be mostly in, immune to it, so it won't spread as much. But you know, some of the every other one of these things has had, What's called waning immunity uh, especially in the older population Uh, and so it tends to come around Um, and so this is just a thing that isn't going away now we'll learn to live with that the real tragedy at the moment is that there are whole the countries that have gone for zero COVID, australia and new zealand being top of that list well they've got a real problem with an endemic Uh, thing in the world (laughs) and this actually happened to Australia last time last time Australia in 1918 Australia managed to keep that virus out but eventually two years later had to let you know had people coming and going and it ripped through that country through the country and it's something I remember from my childhood uh, as you know Australia and New Zealand lost 900,000 people. There were not that many people there <laughs> in, in that. So I, 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 I fear that's, that's sadly going to happen again, And I don't think they've quite woken up to it. <laughs> and so, so this, is, this is what we, we, we are going to live with now in the world. Um, I, I, as I said, I think it'll be background noise for the most part once we're over this, but it might take a while, a few years before we get to that stage.
0: Do you see any other, like, for example, like global economic consequences? I'm not saying like investment advice, but do you think, right. like, do you think there'll be issues with tourism opening up or is like, like, oh, what yeah. do you see any other, yeah, like any industries maybe not coming back or maybe some new industries coming from this? Like, how do you, or do you think yeah. about it completely differently?
1: I mean, I think there's sort of two sorts of, there's one set of things that have just been accelerated. You know, uh, the thing we're doing now, for instance, uh, uh, has been accelerated because of COVID. We just ran a whole lot of experiments and a whole lot of things are working better than we expected. And then we're starting to appreciate the old stuff. And so some of those things will stick. The the biggest impact of the pandemic and why it's such a strange economic impact is it's mainly impacted on labour intensive leisure. Um, so that's going to restaurants shows Mm -hmm. tourism all very labor intensive yeah all very optional (laughs) you know you don't need it in your life and you certainly don't need it when you've got capital intensive leisure what we have now which is basically netflix and co yeah (laughs) so you know those things that's kind of interesting now i think that stuff will come back Um, Once people feel confident about it, Um, I know when I still go into a public place now, you know, having one dose of vaccine, you know, I'm still wary of other people, this idea of being comfortable, I I don't know what it would be like to be on a plane. That's going to take getting used to it. Um, But, uh, you know, that will pass. Um, And those things will then come back because there'll be some pent up demand for it. Uh, So, 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 so that will happen. Uh, but in, in terms of that, it's going to take a while still. I mean, I think it'll be a few years before we get tourism uh, coming back properly. Uh, I think mainly because countries are still going to impose into border, res- border restrictions. Sure. Uh, but, but for other things, uh, they'll come back a bit quicker, the local stuff.
0: Do you see any issues with like right now in the United States, one of the big things people were talking about is inflation people are some of the prices of food have went up gas has gone up i don't know how other countries have done everything but it's at least here you know we had we've had multiple stimulus and i don't know if that's related totally to it but do you see inflation or any other monetary policy issues affecting any of the near term or even maybe longer term so i'm not a macroeconomist
1: (laughs) i find macroeconomics a little bit puzzling uh i must admit you know let's be very clear. The big surprise in the world economy from all of this is that apart from cryptocurrencies, which are their own game, uh, exchange rates have been stable. We've had big deficits being spent elsewhere. We've had, you know, yeah. we've had restrictions. We've got all sorts of stuff going on. And yet, you know, uh, the U.S. dollar is worth the same to the euro to everything else, <laughs> as it, as it yeah, was before. Sure.
0: That's true. Yeah.
1: So, so uh, you know, every other finance, you know, big uh, economic uh, ruction, uh, you know, tends to hit those things. Um, so, I think there's a lot of resilience there, uh, is what that means. I think you know we may see some of the consequences of pushing some levers to the limit show up. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're still fortunately, you know, a decade into the memory of the previous one, and policymakers are very quick. I mean, uh, you know, while we, could, we we can look at the um, public health response of being wonky and have all sorts of problems that led to this, but I'll tell you, the macroeconomic policy response was clear, mm-hmm. consensus, yep. immediate. Yeah unprecedented clearly prevented all manner of crap that could have otherwise occurred
0: sure
1: um and you know yet yeah, to be sure you can't do much about em- unemployment when everybody's sitting at home it's it's going to have it and you can't yeah. ha- expect it to bounce all the way back when you don't have in labor intensive <laughs> leisure going on uh but but you know there it was it was very very uh clear and what's also surprising is there was no economic playbook for this none there's no paper written here's what you do in the case of a pandemic I yeah. know because I looked at it because I wanted to <laughs> um, yeah but, but there was huge consensus which is just like that's that's a whole other story that I'm looking forward to somebody on the inside telling yeah because it happened everywhere Everybody had some sort of stimulus. Everybody had much the same sorts of things. Everybody knew that it was going to lead to some odd
0: stuff, but it's okay. So you know what? Hey, that let's let's end the pandemic questions on that. That's a that's a sign of hope, right? I mean, I've had a yeah. lot of people. That's fantastic. I'll get you out of here on this one. You and I didn't even realize this, but you wrote a whole book on. I believe it's called Parentonomics. Did yes. I get that right? Yes, that's right. You've got at least two kids. Three now. Three. three now. I've had three for 16 years. So yeah, three for <laughs> the 16 years old. Fantastic. You you talk, You told a story in one of your newsletters a couple, maybe a couple months ago about how you were using incentives to try to get your, your daughter to actually help your son potty train, but kind of backfired. Right. Would you be able to tell either that story or like maybe, you know, a story that you've, something that maybe you've learned along the way. A lot of my friends, I'm 34, I've got a child coming. A lot of my friends have younger kids. Like what's maybe a good economic tip or two that you've learned that can help them with, with their younger kids?
1: So um, I've learned that, I mean, parents use all the time, carrots and sticks to try and get behavior that they want. Uh, and, you know, a big theme of the book, and carrots and sticks is what I'm supposed to know about because I'm an economist. <laughs> and so a big uh, theme of the, of the book was, you know, how well do you, how should you think about these things? And what are the problems you find? And the problems are enormous. The problems are enormous. So, you know, with toilet training, we tried to get some incentives. You know, you can have some candy or something like that. Uh, and, and, you know, we got good behavior. And our first child was, you know, realized that in order to get candy, all she had to do was sit all day on the, on the toilet because something would eventually happen. Now, that is very good because that's kind of what you wanted. You wanted her to to be sitting there and to get the feeling of that. But, of course, then she also worked out that she could uh, do a little bit, stop, come off the toilet, get a reward, go back, do it again, (laughs) the rest of it. Very clever. Um, Now, again, a great function. A great function but at some point you have to pull the reward <laughs> sure. We couldn't have a sitting on the toilet all day just doing this activity um so it has its costs and its uh, its benefits and and it also depends on the child she happened to be a child that would respond to those things when we had a child that wouldn't we had we had to come up with other things to do <laughs>
0: well i I, uh, I hope that uh, everyone who listens to that will figure out a way to maybe I don't I mean I guess what would you do from that so if you if you don't want so if you give them candy every time they're going to figure that out is there a yeah. way around that I'm trying to figure it out I feel like no should, no yeah. I mean
1: the figuring out was pretty good um you you have to get there's no quick fix here is what I'm saying okay. is you know you're gonna have to there's no way to use carrots and sticks to save you time okay you can use that but you have to it's not going to save you any time you'll have to still put in the hours to get the
0: result you want okay oh sorry everyone i i you know i got one of the smartest people i've ever met in my life on the podcast but you're still going to have to parent yeah i read a whole book about it but
1: you know if you're in that mode the the book can people seem to like it
0: (laughs) find a useful book uh, check out uh, Joshua Gans, J-O-S-H-U-A-G-A-N-S.com. I believe that's the website. Yes. You got all the books, the blogs uh, uh, on there. Thank you so much for coming on. Anything, uh, anything you have coming up right now or any books coming out?
1: No, no. Well, I, I'm still doing the work on the uh, pandemic. That seems to not go away. I've got a textbook <laughs> I'm writing on entrepreneurship, so that'll be something different. Uh, coming out next year so
0: you are in a, you are quite the renaissance man and i i thank you so much for coming on and have a wonderful evening thank you thank you all for listening oh just when you think you might get that amazing parenting tip that's gonna just set everything over the edge you find out that everything ah, is gonna require patience and time hey i tried but even one of the best economists in the world needed patience and time with his kids. Hilarious stories. Thank you again to Dr. Gans for coming on. What a tremendous guest. Please check out his website, Joshua, J-O-S-H-U-A, Gans, dot com. has all of his writing, his books, multiple blogs. He's extremely prolific. And another example of someone who is, as they said in Alexander Hamilton, he is nonstop. He is relentless and he is a fantastic human being. I thank him so much for his time. Please check out all of his work. If you enjoy this, I have many other episodes. Please check out Vern Goes Against the Grain podcast. It's on YouTube. It's on whatever you listen to now. I've interviewed some amazing individuals, and I think there's always something to be learned from listening to someone with a great story, like Dr. Joshua Gans. Also, if you like this a lot, accepting tips on Anchor. Just go to the website. Find Vern Goes Against the Grain anything is appreciated. I always want to upgrade the technology, keep trying to bring you guests, anything I can to make your life better. Please help me help you. I also wrote a book, 10 Scientifically Proven Ways. Steve Jobs Went Against the Grain, Phil on Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Thank you again. Thank you again to Dr. Gans, and I will talk to you all later.